The John Campia Show, in association with Designing Hollywood, presents... Welcome to the Designing Hollywood Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Meyer Burnett. Today's episode is sponsored by Paris Costumes. The Designing Hollywood Podcast show is dedicated to all things movies, the movie industry, and its talented professionals. Clothes have always been crucial to movie making, and in the early days of powerful Hollywood studios, costume designers not only created looks for film characters, they dressed the stars themselves. Today's guest is an American award-winning costume designer whose credits include Bridgerton, Fatal Attraction, Wall Street, The Greatest Showman, Maleficent 2, and so, so, so much more. She is a frequent collaborator of actor Michael Douglas, having overseen a costume design for films Fatal Attraction, Wall Street, Basic Instinct, A Perfect Murder, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, and Behind the Candelabra. Born and raised in New York City, her early interests in fine art, photography, and fashion led to the prestigious High School of Music and Art. After graduation, she further pursued her study of design at the School of Visual Arts and Parsons School of Design. She entered the world of fashion after Parsons School of Design. Her fashion-forward instincts quickly propelled her to become one of the most sought-after designers in the field. Her talent for creating youthful, all-courant style reverberated throughout the industry, and she has been nominated twice for BAFTA and Emmy Awards, winning the Emmy for Behind the Candelabra. In 1998, she received a Saturn Award for her work in Starship Troopers and has been honored with the Cuddy Sark Menswear Award for her sartorial statement in Wall Street. Greed apparently was good. Uh, Her work has been displayed in the 50 Designer 50 Films exhibit at the American Motion Picture Association, the Florence Biennale, FITM's annual film and television exhibits in 2011 through 13 and in 2015, and the Hollywood Costume Exhibition, which originated at London's Victoria and Albert Museum. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome the award-winning costume designer, Ellen Mirajnik, to the Designing Hollywood podcast. It is so great to have you. I'm just thrilled to be here. I got to say, it's it's a little difficult for me to be sitting with you because I looked over your career and you have worked on so many of the movies I've seen probably way too many times. <laughs> and I have to ask you, because you're here in front of me now, Michael Douglas's leather jacket in Black Rain, one of the great leather jackets of any leather jacket in the history of cinema. Did you buy that? Did you build that? Where did that leather jacket come from? Because I still want it 33 years later. You're not the only one. <laughs> however, however, it came from a very, I'll just say outright, a very cheap shop on 32nd Street and 6th Avenue in New York City. You're kidding. No. And it was not expensive. Wow. I mean. I cannot tell you how many people wanted that jacket. <laughs> How many people would pay anything for the jacket? I think the jacket was under $100, but it was really inexpensive. It was a very lucky find because it was perfect. I mean, there were not seven leather jackets in front of me to pick one or what have you. There was one and, of course, multiples, and it was quite convenient to be under $100, and it fit Michael perfectly, and... There you have it. There you have it. People wanted to copy it. They uh, they wanted they just wanted the jacket. You know, I said to Marilyn once that I think that 
all of you costume designers for the last who every anyone has worked from the 80s on mm-hmm. should get together and be able recreate these iconic Pieces. so many yeah and and sell them because I think that you could buy like you could get together and 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 put these because there's so many different like like we were talking basic instinct Sharon Stone's white dress yeah that she get that interrogation dress I'm sure many a woman has looked at that movie and said I want that dress well that's absolutely true but if you put a group of designers together today and we went through the films of the 80s or the 90s I want you to tell me how many people would have seen those films to be able to really want what we what we created now i mean now i mean yes the, the older fans absolutely <laughs> i being one of them but but i think if they're iconic you know like well like... yeah i don't disagree if it if it's iconic and, and it's gone down in history marilyn's red dress on on julia right and um What's the name of that film? God almighty, Pretty Woman. Pretty, oh, right, right. Marilyn's Red Dress and Pretty Woman. Um, a, a Gordon Gecko shirt. I mean, the horizontal stripe Gordon Gecko shirt. Right. Um, well, he actually has a couple of things that would that would equal uh, iconic, iconic stature, but mainly Gordon Gecko. More sure. that look with without a question of a doubt. Well, when you I mean, this is an interesting, I wasn't going to ask you this, but I'm going to ask you now. When you work on something like Wall Street, those suits in the 80s, I mean, that was that was iconic. Like, you, you, all of Wall Street probably watched that movie and, like, I want to look like Gordon Gekko. When eventually. Right. Eventually. Because, for example, that film, I was in love with what Oliver wrote. That was first and foremost. And... I was just, I was seduced by it. I was absolutely seduced by the writing. And I want, and and what I really wanted to do was find a way to tell the story of Wall Street with possibly visually elevating the genre, Mm -hmm. okay? And so what does that mean? Well, we're gonna make Gordon Gecko a movie star. We're gonna make Charlie Sheen a movie star. So what does that mean for me? Well, if I thought about it, it would have he would have the same elegance and 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 seductiveness as of Cary Grant. Um, he would have a sartorial splendor as uh, the Duke of Windsor. Um, I think I threw a couple of other things in there at the same time. But what I did in looking for images that equaled that. Um, it was difficult to find, but I had right. that image in my head until I found what I was looking for. And, you know, you don't go out, honest to God, you do not ever. And if you do, you better like hang it up, um, I think. But you don't go out and say, well, I'm going to make an iconic character now. Sure. It always has to, in my opinion, when that happens, there is something that's touched the audience's heart. It's an emotional reaction, not the most beautiful suit in the world, not the most beautiful shirt, not the none of that, not even the white dress where or what have you. There is something else that has that has touched the audience in a way that I don't think that you could have ever written 
as you read the script in a description of what you wanted to achieve? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that I think that if you look at your career, you really were at the cutting edge of cool if that oh, makes sense. You. I mean, all of, you know, when I met Marilyn for the first time, you and Marilyn were really the two costume designers whose names I knew. Mm. You know, I wasn't, and I knew, look at me, I knew nothing of fashion. But <laughs> the, the um, uh, when it was almost like there was a, there was a culture of, if you worked on these movies, they were going to be cool. Mm. And, and that's nice of you to say. <laughs> oh, it's true. Well, and, and look, it, it, going back and looking at, at um, your credits before this interview, speaks for itself <laughs> i mean you worked on all of these i uh, really iconic movies that that also in the home video era uh were played over and over again mm -hmm. you know people started watching movies on cable over and over and over again so you could suddenly become aware of these things and remember people's names and and but like for instance as a paul verhoeven fan it, the way he lit movies like i would watch anything mm -hmm. because if yon Devon especially was shooting mm -hmm. they were using lots of fluorescence to light things and they were they used in basic instinct a lot of steady cam there's a mm -hmm. lot of all those is it george george Zun, Zun, zunza the actor yeah, yeah, yeah. his partner even he he was kind of be, supposed to be the schlubby guy mm -hmm. but he was cool like you gave him he gave you gave him cool outfits even though he was the but but was it cool because the story became like out of this world or was it or was it a combination? I ask this because there's so many times that it just happens to be a combination of elements. OK, sure. You have a great script. You have great actors. Now, Jan comes comes along and he lights it. He has a, a particular feel. Yeah. And and. And Jan and Paul had a very, very interesting relationship. And I would say that Jan was Paul's eyes in a way. Right. You know, and and however, I would say Paul had a visceralness about him that you had to hit those notes. Do you know what I mean? So the whole package came together. Yeah. When working with Oliver Stone, you he had Bobby Richardson, and he relied on him mm -hmm. to be his eyes for Bobby to design the light and the scene in a way that would be exemplary to Oliver's writing and what he wanted to bring across. But I think, like you said, it's a combination of elements, but you, come on. Like when we were talking Strange Days, the clothes in Strange Days are awesome. I love Strange Days. Strange Days is a film that I think was i think it actually there is a movie i think that was uh made recently that i believe the device they use in the movie was quite similar to the one the one that uh rafe was was uh peddling oh you know? yeah i think that it really was i think that the idea of what that was was brilliant and it was you know, that movie was supposed to be, I guess it was 1995 it came out. So we made it like not four or five, right? And I remember having this conversation with Catherine and Lily Kilvert and so on, because we were really telling a story that had to take place New Year's Eve of 1999 right. to 2000. Wow, it seems so far away, but not really, <laughs> no. right? 
And so Catherine was very clear about this amalgamation of different cultures mm. coming to California at that in Los Angeles, particularly at that time. And that would kind of feel like what um, the city felt like and what was different five years later, of course. And I remember doing a mood board that was a number of pages. That's one of my favorite to all for all times. I mean, it actually hit so many notes. It became kind of the visual Bible for the film. And it actually was the, it was one of the most interesting films to design. Well, Lenny Nero, Ray Fine's character, his clothes are a big part of that. His, I mean, you see the, his clothes and what he's going to wear because he has to look look the part, and all those actors. I mean, that the, the it was it was so uh, Angela Bassett's yeah, outfits. Angela, right? Man, did you make her look good? I would not Thank want to you. meet her Thank in a you. dark alley because she no, would beat the heck out of you. She, oh, she was great. But even people like Tom Sizemore and, of course, Michael Juliet Wincott. Juliette Lewis. And Ju when she sings, when she sings, that's musical number that is incredible. Uh -huh. Yeah. I mean that that whole movie. I mean, I could wax rhapsodic about that for. But I, 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 I should. <laughs> I'm so happy that you like the film because I, oh. I think it is it is a film way before its time. Yep. And I think that, and I say that because of culture and. Uh, the cultural element, the music, what it looked like, and what the city has become, and actually what we have all become. Uh, absolutely, uh, you know, and and I thought that movie coming off the heels of the L.A. riots would have been a much bigger movie than it mm -hmm. was because it was incendiary in terms of its politics. Yes, and you know, you had you know, I think it was Jay Cox and James Cameron wrote uh -huh. the script. Yes, and two great, obviously great screenwriters, right. and and then Catherine Bigelow directing, and then. The music and all the performances. I mean, it was, and when you find out what's going on when the conspiracy is revealed, it's pretty hardcore. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost come true. <laughs> all right, let's re release it now. I know, let's right? See what happens. Well, you want to hear something sad about that film is that you can't, in America, it has not ever been released on Blu ray. Really? It is not, you, I, my Blu ray I had to get from Germany. Wow. And it, for whatever reason, Lightstorm, there's four Lightstorm movies that have uh -huh. never been released on Blu ray. What there's are the Steve, others? Steven Soderbergh's Solaris, his uh -huh. remake. Uh, True Lies and The Abyss. You're kidding. Are not on Blu-ray. They're only on DVD wow. and Strange Days. And it's that's really interesting. I don't know why. And I and I'm like, either. come on, James. There must be some very specific attachment he had. I, I, I don't. But listen, I wanted to get back and okay. talk to you about because I'll geek out with you and we'll never get All right. it. But you have a very rigorous academic design background. Mm -hmm. And I I find that interesting because a lot of the costume designers do. They have very rigorous design backgrounds. Uh, they're also a, a working knowledge of art history. I didn't realize that so many costume designers would go, go look at, like if you're working on a period piece, go look at paintings in museums mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to tell you about the color and the texture. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that was the case. How important do you think your academic background and all the design work that you, you had, how important was that to the rest of your career? I think that the design background is a very, very important foundation is without a question of a doubt, um, it's part of the fabric of my being. You know, I mean, I started to paint when I was a child oh. at about, I, I think I started to paint like at five years old. Went to art schools very, very early on to just allow my talent to grow. Uh, fortunately, my mom saw it and never took it away. 
mm. you know. And so I was very, very fortunate that I always was involved with art. So that meant not only painting, drawing, and classes, but museums at a very, very early age. So there was not, it wasn't anything new that I wanted to all of a sudden study. It was out of, a, it, it was a growth of what my, who I was mm. and what I wanted to learn. The one thing about costume design, which is kind of interesting when it comes to this amazing education that we we do um, actually achieve is that there's a lot that we might not know before we go into a project, but we will know a massive amount by the time that project is finished. And so the doorway to the doorway to all research is it's 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 endless. It is just endless. And how you approach the research is also endless. I might do not do the same research as any other designer, or we might match each other in certain ways. It's how you see things. Mm. And um, I think that I was always a person from the time I was little that I was just so curious about so many things and seeing what was before me and what was beyond the rainbow mm. was just something that lit me up. So I, I just would never stop. But I would think, you know, when I say cool, we're talking about a combination of things, which is true, mm -hmm. but you in particular had a sensibility, even looking at Reckless and the Flamingo mm -hmm. Kid, you know, Reckless is an inherently cool film. Mm -hmm. And Aiden Quinn just- That was his it, first film. It, yeah, it, it, I remember seeing that guy, I'm like, where did this guy come from? You know, mm -hmm. and, and him and Daryl Hannah, you work with Daryl Hannah again on, on Wall Street, but mm -hmm. that movie was very different than any of the other teen movies that yeah. were coming out at the time. There was a cool factor to that film. I mean, it was more erotic. It, it had better music. It was darker. It was rougher. It, it was, was rougher. rougher. It was gritty and it was rough. And I think that it was the first film that Jamie Foley made out of his student films. I could be wrong about that. I think but, you're right. But I think that that's what it was. And it had an extremely independent feel to it. So, and I think it was, in, I don't actually remember this, but I remember it being small. It was yeah, not, yeah. it wasn't a big film. And I remember they, that Jamie had a vision and he would execute it if it was the last thing he would do. So it, everybody it, just loved being um, kind of tied up in Weirton, West Virginia to make this thing. And it was a cool, gritty film. And nobody looked at any of the other teenage films that were out at that time. There was, I mean, people think about teenage movies, you're thinking John Hughes, you're thinking mm -hmm. Breakfast Club and mm -hmm. Pretty in Pink and all this stuff. And those are, those are great films. Yes. But I preferred things like whether it was, it was Reckless or Risky Business, which was mm -hmm. a year before, mm -hmm. but even like the Flamingo Kid, same year, same mm -hmm. came out. That film, totally different than Reckless. But oh, it's still, but the design, the the clothes oh, in that movie you. are great, though. I mean, <laughs> that was fun. Also, Gary Marshall, that was actually Gary Marshall's, I think, second film. I don't think it was. I think he made a film before. And this was his second feature film. 
he of course was involved in so much television yeah but but this was his second feature film and we went to that beach club in the summer and we never left till christmas time i think but uh, it yeah. was so cold those those lovely people would put their bathing suits on at 10 o'clock in the morning on a day of 30 degrees at a beach club in Atlantic Beach in New York. And he he just made everybody laugh. And we had a really, really good time. Well, it comes through. I mean, I, I really like it's funny to, again, revisiting all looking at your your past work. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I know where I <laughs> I know what movie theater I saw the Flamingo Kid in. Um, but let, let me ask you, did you. With this art background you had and your mother let you paint, were you a fan of, of theater growing up in New York and did you love movies? I loved movies. I, I had two things. When I was young, when I was six, I had an aunt who would take me to the theater every month. I would go and see a musical. And I saw musicals in their first runs that I was quite fortunate to have been able to see inclusive of Barbara Streisand's early work. Wow. It was a wow. I was a little girl, but I fell in love with musicals. Um, I don't think we ever went to a play, but musicals were once a month. I looked forward to those times so much. Wow. And movies, I loved movies. It was, I was a kid who looked up at the screen and saw flickering lights and said, take me away. What were some of your favorites? Auntie Mame. <laughs> Auntie Mame to this day is my favorite film ever. <laughs> Indiscreet, I saw at, um, I think I was seven. I went to Radio City Music Hall. I think somebody was babysitting me. Wow. They took me to Radio City Music Hall and we saw Indiscreet, a beautiful film. I, I, it's, it's beautiful to look at. I just am, I, I'm a fan of the film. It's uh, absolutely Stanley Donnan, without a question of a doubt. The colors are absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous. The apartment um, was beautifully designed. Mm -hmm. um, I love that film. So that Auntie Mame, uh, with Auntie Mame still to this day, I could watch it over and over and over and over <laughs> and over again. I love it more than anything. I loved Some Like It Hot. Um, I loved Rebel Without a Cause, I was like just fascinated by, but I don't know that I loved it like I'm telling you. I love these other no, it... kinds of films. But um, I loved going to the movies. I remember going to Lowy's Paradise Movie Theater in the Bronx on Fordham Road, and it had a ceiling that was all stars. It was <laughs> twinkling stars. And I remember seeing Ben-Hur there. Wow. Wow and first run that i can't tell you <laughs> that i really really can't tell you <laughs> but i remember seeing Ben, and it was bigger than life right and then i remember the zigfield theater in new york and which seeing the late beautiful. lamented and now the recently closed the last yes, couple of years yes damn them it was horrible i remember seeing cabaret there and uh, i mean how Bob does Fossey it get better yeah, i'm a huge bob fassi fan as all well. that jazz is one of the reasons i wanted to edit as a film editor. Really? Oh, that uh, all that it's jazz one of my favorite films of all time. Amazing. It's amazing film. Amazing. Um but his talent was beyond oh. recognition. I mean it, it it was just beyond. Yeah, and I, I love watching interviews with him. There's a lot of interviews mm -hmm. you can find on uh, he was such a monstrously talented human being. 
Very much so. And uh, he must have been a fun guy to know. Did you ever meet him? No, I never met him. And I was in like the next class, so to speak. You know what I mean? So I wasn't in that groove at that time, but I was a great admirer of his work and used to go and see his, his shows all the time. Anything that he directed and choreographed, there was nothing like it in the world. And so I think he set the world of, on fire oh with a, his he work. was amazing now when you were in places like parsons and you were you were more fashion than film yes now did you see yourself ever getting into movies no really I, no not at I, all not at all not, not at even all. a little bit of an inkling of a dream nope wow no nope. not not at all i was actually thrown out of parsons i'm, I'm here to tell you <laughs> they said one day you'll be a designer we can't tell you when but you're taking up space, so could you could you leave? And um, wow! And that how was, was that the, for you? I didn't. I don't remember caring that much. Oh. Um, I really didn't remember caring because technically I was not proficient. I couldn't drape. I couldn't make a pattern. I could absolutely design, and I could absolutely instruct some an assistant what I wanted in the draping area and I could instruct a pattern maker about what I was hoping to see, but I couldn't do it. And that wasn't part of the program. So I think I failed miserably in those fields. And also I couldn't sew. And <laughs> and and they made you sew by hand um till I was thrown out. Um a children's project that was a total mess. The design was great. The project was a mess. And they said, thanks, Ellen, but you have to go. Wow. So then how did you end up going from the fashion industry into film? Well, I was very fortunate in the fashion industry. I was very, very fortunate. I worked for some amazing people. And when and I were worked... you in New York at the time? Because yes. that yes. must have been fun. It was um, Listen, Were you like going to Studio 54? Mm-hmm. Did you know Halston? No. No, I was a kid. I didn't know anybody. Oh, okay. But I, I just, I was, I would frequent any disco you could imagine. Any, any place that would let me in. I would lie about my age. I would, I wouldn't care. I would just go. <laughs> but what I, when I started in fashion, because I was thrown out of school, there was a man by the name of Bernie Ozer who was head of um, merchandising. He was like a very, very, very important man in the, junior sportswear, the junior area at that time. And that was a very new category. Sure. Um, because when I went to Parsons, they were hoping you'd work on 7th Avenue and become a couture designer and so on. Hmm. But I was just more interested in junior fashion or children's wear. And so this wonderful Bernie Ozer took me under his wing and he's, he made me walk the runway. He'd do like three shows a year. I had to walk the runway with some extraordinary models I was fortunate enough to be in the company of. He'd send me out on the street and say, bring back six trends. Wow. Um, he'd, he'd say, go and find whatever in, come back and tell me what you saw when you were dancing. I mean, it was like things of that nature. And also, he introduced me to two fellows that I went to work for, 
very soon thereafter and in the junior sportswear market. And it was an extraordinary experience. These these guys were extraordinary. Herb Schneiderman was without a question my mentor and uh, taught me everything from working with people to how to get the best out of your team, how to feel confident in uh, what you want to design or what the themes are, how to interpret, etc., hmm. and how to actually um, spot when somebody didn't know what the heck they were doing. Wow. How to spot that. I was very, very fortunate. So I stayed there for about seven years and then I got bored. <laughs> but then how did you make that well, transition? Well, at that time, Herb was a great, great, great mentor. And Herb invested in this um, film. And the film that he invested in for a friend of his who was going to direct it is a film called The French Quarter starring Virginia Mayo and a bevy of girls. And Bruce Davison was in it as oh. well. Okay. And it took place in, in New Orleans in the French Quarter in like 1910 or something of that, I mean, somewhere around there. And it was kind of a precursor to Pretty Baby. Okay. <laughs> and so I, I went, my husband at the time was working on the film. I went to visit him. And they didn't have a costume designer. And the director of the film, my boss's friend, said, do you want to do the costumes? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and so I had to go back to New York, beg Herbie to give me eight weeks off. And I didn't, I promise you, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I jumped right in the deep end of the pool yeah. and figured it out. That had to have been a fun show then. Well, you know, it was it was no money, absolutely no money. I mean, I think the whole budget was something like $300,000 of the film. Um, so it was no money. But fortunately, I was introduced to a number of people at Brooks Van Horn who were very, very helpful. And I also knew how to create clothes. And And so once I got the silhouette in my head and knew what I needed to do, I could instruct I could fabric, I could fabricate it, mm -hmm. and I can instruct people to make it. So it was a little bit. It was a little bit of a potpourri, but we pulled it off. Wow! And then you just never looked back. I stayed in the fashion business for a little while because my wonderful mentor Herb Schneiderman would not let me leave till I could make a living. Wow. So he really did. I was look very out fortunate. For you. Very fortunate. Yes. Well, it's it was it was it Fame? Did you work on the Fame TV series? Yes. Well, I I was the assistant costume designer on Fame, Alan Parker's Fame. Oh, okay. That movie. That's where it started. It's basically. incredible. Hot lunch jam. Shake it, Sadie. Serving <laughs> lady. You I, are I, amazing. Uh, <laughs> you I, are amazing. I love Fame. It's a it's a great film. Uh, it is a great movie. I watch it all the time. I that cast is incredible. I didn't realize that you'd worked on that. Um, yes, I I was assistant to Christy Zia, and who I had met doing commercials for a very big commercial house at that time. Um, I think that she did designed a film before that, and this was my first 
film. Wow. I mean, what a, again, a film that has an incredible look. I mean, the, that wave of directors coming from England who had specialized in commercials. I mean, Alan Parker. He was what? an amazing, amazing talent. Oh, my God. I mean, he, he, he really made smart. Fame and Birdie, another yeah. movie I loved, you know. He's a very, very, very talented writer and a very talented director. And um, from fame, the movie, I think it was like in the same year or something or six months later that the TV show was going to. Oh, no, no, no. It was a while later. I'm sorry. Yeah, because yeah. it was when John Lennon passed. Yeah, because fame was 80, 1980, no. I think. The it, movie. We made it in 78. Yeah. We made it in 78 to 79. Very soon after that, we did the TV series. And I started that TV series. And I was the designer of that. And the TV series was good, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I, yeah. I really liked that the the show as well. But that ran for a long time, I think. Yeah, it really yeah. did. So, but then you 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 really started, I guess, after then fame was it was Reckless and the Flamingo Kid your first features by myself. It was like fame. I'll tell you, it's fame, endless love. I was the assistant on as well with Christy, and then I I didn't know how to be really anybody else's assistant you know it just we were a good pair she went off and wanted to do her her thing and I I think was I knew I wanted to be a costume designer by that time and I wanted to do my own work so reckless I believe reckless came before flamingo kid yeah yeah by a couple like by a year or so and um wanted to become a costume designer so i did it no it's amazing i mean you, you look at those so those are 80 those came out in 84 then by 86 which is when wall street came out 80 well in 1986 we did fatal attraction first and then wall street right after it because i was going to say you began that association with michael douglas both of the costume designs in those movies are incredible Thank you. I mean, and and they they have uh, that that cool factor. I mean, Adrian Lyne. Adrian, there's nobody. Another British film director. I love who, the British. It's great film to see director. him come back. But maybe that was another thing that I'm responding to as well, because that sort of high contrast look. It was. It mm -hmm. was. It, it. There was that look. I love that look. I mean, Ridley Scott, who you then work with Black again Rain. with Michael Douglas on Black Rain. Um, so you 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 did Fatal Attraction, Wall Street, and then soon after Black Rain, and it was interesting because Fatal Attraction and Black Rain are both Paramount mm -hmm. pictures. Yes, and then uh, with uh, the same producers, right? Uh, it was Sherry Lansing and, and, ja and Stanley, Stanley Jaffe. Jaffe. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I mean uh, that that whole era of people, whether people the, and 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 talent was beyond. Rec I mean, you nobody would. I don't think. They, I, I always wonder about that talent and what we were very fortunate to do at that period of time. I always wonder how it would be recognized today. How would it be accepted? How would it be thought about? What would people, how would people respond? Because it was so special in my memory. Oh, I look, I mean, as a viewer, I thought so too. Now, um, wh what? Five minutes. We just started. 
Um, so <laughs> just, you I'm better just, like hurry up and cut uh, to the chase. I'm enjoying. <laughs> no, I mean it's been. I've learned more from you in the last hour. But the so I wanted to ask you about you. You've you've had you've worked with some of the greatest film directors. I mean everybody mm-hmm. from Steven Spielberg to Ridley Scott to Paul Verhoeven to Alan Parker, and then also talent like a Michael Douglas. I mean in that short period of time. Michael Douglas became a defining between, he became a movie star. Yeah, between Gordon Gecko and the character in Fatal Attraction and and look, I'm a huge Black Rain. As a matter of fact, I even have an action figure now that I'm thinking about it of Sato. <laughs> wow. They, of a, a Japanese wow. company because when that actor died mm-hmm. as an honor He died soon after. Yeah, and they made a figure of him and wow. it's in that long leather uh-huh. that jacket that he's wearing in New York. Mm-hmm. And it's funny I didn't even think about it. I could have brought it here and you I would that would have been weird, but I still have that figure. It's 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 incredible. But the that you were there making, I mean, the look of Michael Douglas in both Fatal Attraction. Mm-hmm. It's that New York, mm-hmm. that iconic power. I mean, because Michael Douglas was, even though he was a dad, he still was that executive. But it wasn't power. It was just how I always saw New York. It was not, you know, there there are certain things that are ingrained, you know, that it just is a, it, it's, you can't describe, it's not, it's beyond words. You just look, see, it has to be, and you do it. And working with Adrian, it Adrian had a look and a feel at that time that was specific. We happened to have the same level of taste. Oh, because you did Jacob's Ladder, too. Mm-hmm. Jacob's Ladder is one of my favorites. Oh, my God. I mean, Jacob's Ladder still, to this day, some of the greatest in-camera scary yes. effects And you know why? Ever. Because Adrian... God bless him. Um, Adrian could not make up his mind and was totally rattled with the idea, and this was very early on, of choosing visual effects before the fact. And so he needed to have um, practical effects at his disposal. So what Richard Dean, who is the makeup artist and myself did, is that we created his visual effects that he could use. We did studies upon studies. We'd hire models. We'd use different kinds of devices and elements to create this shake and what would be scary and what would scare you. And it was great. It was really great uh, fun at that time. I mean, man, that film you watch it today, it it it's it scary. holds up. It's still scary. It's got some of that the scene on the gurney when they're pushing yeah. deeper and deeper into hell and yeah. uh, uh, terrifying. It is a terrifying. And, film. Uh, and again, that's uh, it's funny. All these all these very cool. You worked on some very cool movies. <laughs> thank you. No, thank but you. when you have a relationship with someone like Michael Douglas, I mean, over these three films, as he's coming out as a movie star, what's it like having an ongoing relationship with with an actor? And what is that interaction like? How do you guys develop a shorthand in terms of what looks good on him? I I think that the the easiest way to answer it is that once you get to work with someone that um, you work with over and over again, it is it's not that it, all of them were by accident. They were not planned. Number one. Number two, you do have a shorthand you do have a level of trust that is very, very, very strong. It's a very intimate relationship Mm -hmm. that you develop over time with 
anybody that you work with over and over and over again, particularly an actor. It was not about Michael's rise in the on the level of fame. It was really Michael actually doing different kinds of characters mm. that people he just he hit the zeitgeist. You know, it was one of he became the everyman that everyone wanted to be. Right. And so we had the good fortune of creating lots of different type of characters. Dan Gallagher, for example, in in uh, Fatal Attraction yeah. is totally different than Gordon Gecko. We did not know that Gordon Gecko would become basically a noun. Right. You know, we didn't. We didn't still really to have, this day. Still to this day, um, that he would become the well, he was the villain, and every every single man from age thirty on, as soon as that movie opened, wanted to be him. Oh yeah, wanted to be. He him. was an anti-hero. He not right. a villain. He was not the villain. He was an anti-hero. <laughs> or certainly became the villainous anti-hero in any way you wanted to look at it, because he would always. But I'm the villain. What? But I'm the villain. Money never well, sleeps. Pal. Money never sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> and I even like that. There's, a, there's another line that he says to to Charlie on the fun when he tells him money never sleeps that's really funny but in any event um it's memorable but gordon gecko was very different than nick current in basic instinct very different now he does he always have a bit of a suitedness about him yes but they're different levels and different ideas so there is a shorthand not only in trust, but also in imagery. Okay, I got to give it up for you because the sweater he wears to the club in Basic Instinct, the V-neck sweater, come mm -hmm. on. He must have been like, can I look cooler? Do I have to wear this sweater, this club? Still the greatest. It might be one of the greatest uh, the greatest choices ever in a movie. Thank you. Because you're like, dude, you look out of place. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic. Oh, thank you. You know, to this day, I question the choice. Oh, you have to. But it's... It, I, it's... I, to this day, that is one costume in particular that I question to this day. Like, why didn't I put a t-shirt underneath that? Why did I just let him not... And I swear, I have this conversation with myself all the time. No, no, no. You know why? Because here's the thing. He's out of his league. And okay. that that outfit shows you like, dude... You clearly have never gone to a club like this ever before in your life. <laughs> and I know you're trying to look cool, but by not wearing an undershirt and not he that's his statement. Oh, I look good, don't I? As I go into but this you know club what? that would never exist anywhere in the world, but no, it's never. the best club ever. Of and, course. And but him showing up in that is one of my favorite things in any movie ever. Well, that's very kind of you to say, but I'll tell you the reason why it was the choice. The reason why it was the choice was that at that moment in time. The the uh, the connection between he and Sharon's character, I needed to be able to have real clothing that she could put her hand in easily. Right. Okay. And her dress actually came way down. I mean, there was no back, and it actually sat right above her um, her tush, and so that he could put his hand into the dress very quickly. So it was really about choreography. Right.
And in that scene, of course, the ultimate diss when she slams the bathroom stall door on him. It's yeah. great. I love that movie so much. <laughs> well, listen, I know we're at the end. I mean, I feel like I just started talking That's to you. It's the beginning. But I would, <laughs> I, I, I would, uh, I would ask you, uh, with all the people and the way the world has changed, and Hollywood is a much different place mm-hmm. now. We were talking about HR departments and people getting yes. called all the times. But what advice could you impart to? I thought what you said at the beginning about your academic background of being interested in everything was. But what other advice might you give to somebody watching this who's interested in pursuing a career in costume design? Or fashion. Well, I I think that the 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 one thing that I think is essential, more than anything in the world, is your level of curiosity, hmm. and your level of curiosity and how deep will you allow yourself freely, without limits, no boundaries, no made up stories. How deep will you allow yourself to explore that? And I think that you have to you have to nourish your imagination continually, and I think that that's really really important. And I think level of study is fine. I am not a huge proponent of education in mm. this. I am not. I'm very serious because I. You mean traditional education? Tradition. Yes. Sorry traditional education. I'm not a huge proponent simply because there is a level that you really need to seek and experience more. The one thing, there is another, there is another thing, and that is, pardon me, half a sec, sorry. Um, The one thing that I would say is you have to learn how to communicate. Communication is the key because you will find yourself if you're fortunate enough to be able to work and you know, even on the lowest of lowest or student films or take your camera out and do it, and there's always gonna be somebody else you have to talk to. And what is really important is learning to communicate your ideas and understanding um, of who you're talking to, what you have to, who you're talking to, what they will hear, how you will best show it, explain it. And sometimes you have to be the mediator between a producer, a director, a studio, Hmm. an actor. Everybody could have five different opinions, four different opinions. Well, how are you going to get your contribution across to all of them? The one thing that they do not teach in school in any film school, any design school, any school, art school, is the means of how do you communicate. And I think that it's the the saddest thing in the world because that is, I think, the most important, that it's the most important connecting piece to becoming what you've dreamt of becoming. Right, wow, that's that's incredible advice. Uh, do you have any presence on social media? Mm-hmm. Where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram. They can find me on, well, I don't really do Facebook anymore, but they can find me on Instagram by L&M. Okay. That's, oh, well, that's... That's, that's what I am. And I don't think I, uh, I don't do TikTok really. Right. I, I, I wish I did, but I don't. <laughs> sure. But no, I mean, people do, now do you post a lot of your work on Instagram? I post what I can. I don't. 
uh, you know, there's a, there's very, very different now because you can't just post willy-nilly. Right. You sign your life away. Yeah. And we don't own anything. Right. So that's a little difficult. So you wait till you can post. Well, Mirajnik, this was an amazing conversation. I would keep you here for another hour or at least, you know, <laughs> so many more. But I will I will end this. Um, I want to thank our sponsor, Paris Costumes. Paris Costumes was founded in 1856. It is a costume hiring and manufacturing company that covers all periods and cultures for TV, films, advertisement, and theater. Paris Costumes has a portfolio of over 6 million garments and accessories from all periods and cultures. And thank you for sponsoring the Designing Hollywood podcast. And thank you to our guest costume designer, Ellen Mirajnik, for being thank you. you are so cool. And it's been so cool <laughs> oh, to talk to you. Thank you so much. Um, it's been great. And a special thanks to our executive producer, Martika Abara, and of course, legendary costume designer, Marilyn Vance, our executive producers. Thanks to our hosting partner, John Campia. And thank you to all of our viewers for tuning in. I'm, of course, your host, Robert Meyer Burnett. You can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM or find me on Instagram at RM Burnett. Thanks very much, and we'll see you on the next episode.